Listening to the Toronto Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Vic Gupta, the Chief Executive Officer of Create TO, the City of Toronto's real estate agency. Create TO reviews and advises on strategic uses of our city's real estate, managing a $27 billion portfolio. Yes, that's billion with a B. Prior to joining Create TO, Vic had served as Mayor John Tory's Principal Secretary for four years from 2015 to 2019, during which he also co-chaired Mayor Tory's successful 2018 re-election campaign. Welcome, Vic Gupta, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Uh, thank you very much. I'm uh, super excited to be here and to, to uh, see an old friend like you, uh, I don't know if either of us are, con- are still playing baseball or softball anymore, but... Uh, oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what part um, of town are you living in these days? I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm right downtown. I'm in the, I'm in the city and uh, very excited to be living in the city. And I'm actually at the office today, which is, which is great. Are you guys back in the office kind of part-time, full-time or what's, what's Yeah, you know, what we've done, I mean, it actually speaks to one of the major projects that we uh, led for the city. It's called Modern TO, and it was an initiative driven by the mayor to consolidate the city's office footprint. So we've uh, we led this process. So we are actually now the city has moved to a hybrid work environment where you have to book your desks, and so we have space now where I guess, I'd say we're kind of in the office two to three days a week. I'm, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. I come in every day, <laughs> uh, uh, but to try to set a bit of an example, but yeah, so the idea is, you know, the city didn't need all the real estate that it had. And I'll tell you, if you don't mind, I, I'd love to just tell you a bit about this project. Please we do. had 52, 52 third party leases and um, each, the square footage per employee was around 250 square feet. We've reduced that footprint to 140 square feet. And, um, and we've eliminated 33 of those leases, third-party leases. So the city's gone from 52 to 19 leases. And we've surplused eight uh, buildings where the TTC headquarters was, the Toronto Community Housing headquarters, the Toronto Parking Authority's headquarters. So to give you an example uh, of eight sites that we've now considered surplus that have about a $400 million market value, and so now we're going to be able to take that value and uh, turn it into good things for the people of Toronto, you know, good uh, outcomes for the people of Toronto. So that's an exciting uh, project that, 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 uh, that we've been working on. And, and actually, we're also taking a bit of the money and investing it in the civic centers in Scarborough, in North York, um, in, and building a new civic center in Etobicoke. And so not only are we... Um, investing in those community centers where then bringing the employees, allowing them to kind of work closer to their home in those community centers. So it's a, it's a great initiative that the mayor championed and, and we had the privilege to kind of operationalize or execute it. So, so we're, we're in the midst of that. So we're leading by example. So we've moved out of our fancy offices on King Street and now we're in uh, city owned space where where our team works kind of in a hybrid type model so it's great 
Well, good leadership comes by leading from for example. And you, you, you do that. I know you do that. Now let's talk breaking news. This podcast loves to break news. Yesterday, it was announced that the City of Toronto and George Brown College would be working together on a plan for a new campus opportunity in the Mount Dennis community, which is kind of Weston and Eglinton. Do you want to tell us about this project? Mm-hmm. It's early. It's early days, uh, but you know this is going to be. Uh, I mean, this is such a, such a great opportunity for the city. The local councillor, you know, that's a tough neighborhood, Mount Dennis. You know, just uh, for for your listeners who may not be as familiar with it, you know, it's a, it's a tough neighborhood. It's uh, it, it needs investment. You know, the city has grown so much when you drive through Mount Dennis, you wonder what happened to Mount Dennis. So there's a beautiful new community center that the city has built, but, um, and there is going to be development there, but um, the local council wanted to see if there was an opportunity to bring an institutional uh, educational kind of post-secondary Youth, and so we we were asked to, with our economic development department, to meet with um, all of the post-secondary institutions. And George Brown, uh, you know, they they have this great vision to not just um, you know not just put a few classes in a in an existing building, but to build out a master-planned campus. Um, you know, to and and you know they have other sites that they're going to look at, maybe consolidating and moving that there. So it's the early days. We we are, uh, we've got two or three sites that we have identified that might work for it. And, you know, we're going to work closely with George Brown to understand what exactly their needs are. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully in two to three years, we'll, we'll have a building, we'll have a campus with, you know, with students and all the vitality and excitement that that brings. Well, that's fabulous. And I, I definitely want to do a shout out at this point to Professor Paula Applebaum at George Brown, who uh, is going to be very keen to hear about this now Vic before we talk more about what you're doing at create to let's go all the way back and get the Vic Gupta story where were you born and please describe your upbringing oh wow um yes I was born in Toronto I was born uh just down the street from where I'm sitting right now at Mount Sinai Hospital Mount Sinai Uh, yeah Mount Sinai proud proud I'm a Christmas Eve baby, so there wasn't oh. a lot of people in the hospital when I was born, I think. Uh, or, or if they were, they certainly weren't sober. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, I, I was, uh, so I was born on December 24th, 1970. So uh, like you, we're getting old, Andrew. <laughs> we um, are. We are. Uh, and, you know, I spent, I'd say that, you know, my, my parents are immigrants, like a lot of, lot of the Toronto. I mean, my story is probably no different than a lot of Toronto stories. My parents are from India. Uh, we came, they came to Canada in the late sixties. They had my brother who, you know, quite well and, uh, and myself shortly after. And we struggled like everybody, like a lot of immigrants did. I'm, you know, I, I don't remember these days, but my mom tells me we lived in a one, one room apartment, sort of a bachelor on Ontario street. And, uh, in what is probably now a little nicer part of cabbage town. I don't think it was that nice then. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, my dad just pounded the pavement, looked for work. I, I remember one thing about dad. He, uh, he used to, no matter what he was doing, he'd get up every day. Uh, he cared about how he looked and he'd put on a three piece suit before he yeah. left the house. So I think he recognized that, you know, you got to look the part that you're trying to get. So, um, so, you know, and then we, and where we would have met, uh, we moved, I think when I was four or five out to North York and, uh, lived in North York for, um, for probably the next 
better part of the next decade, 12 to 15, 12 years or so in the north part of North York, Victoria Park and Finch went to, yeah. you know, uh, grade school there, elementary school, went to, uh, went to junior high, as you know, and then, uh, and let's then give a shout out school. to those schools, by the way, don't, yeah, don't pass it by so quick. Elementary very, was elementary was Cherokee public school as part of the Pleasant View family of schools. Uh, remember that fondly. And then, you know, in North York, uh, we had, uh, well, we had, we had middle school. So I was in Pleasant View, ju- uh, junior high. Uh, I drove by there the other day, Andrew, and, and uh, I, you know, you realize how, how fortunate we were. We had Pleasant View Library, we had Pleasant View Arena, and we had Pleasant View Pool, all kind of right next to each other on Van Horn there. And uh, I, I drove my son through it and there's still a John Anderson burger in that plaza. <laughs> we, we, we talked, I don't want to go to You're going to get me all over the place. But one thing that's interesting is the John Anderson's number 10 Jersey is still in the display case. It's, it's getting a little yellow. And yeah. I, I almost can guarantee you, if you ask the proprietor who, who this burger place was named after that, they, they would, they're not going to know. But yeah. That's know, incredible. But- and, and but, you know what, you, this obviously ties into what you do today. I think your, your comments right on all these city services and, you know, I noticed like an outdoor skating rink, they yeah. still maintain that at Pleasant View. And I still have, I'm in Richmond Hill now. I still have to drive to Pleasant View if I want to skate outside and play shinny the way we all did growing up, but the way my daughter and her friends can't do. So anyway, it's, it's good. You were able to get back into the zone and see what's up. Uh, I think it's important before we move on that we do talk about your softball career at uh, <laughs> Softball Association. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to tell you too much. You don't already know. But one thing you probably don't know is with the Internet, all the stats are there. So I have compiled. This is uh, the official Pleasant View Softball Association. These are greatest sibling stats. OK, so these are the top ranked for home runs. So number five, Rich and Rob Butler. As you oh, may know, wow. yeah, Rob wow. Butler, the only yeah. Canadian to win a World Series, they had zero home runs because they never played at Pleasant View. Number four, Mike and Mark Henry. They came up, they were up there, but you're oh. ahead of them. Number three, oh. Mike, number three, Michael and Steve Swanick. They did wow. very well. Now, yeah. tied for the top two spots is Rohit and Vic Gupta, tied with Lawrence and Andrew Applebaum. <laughs> we literally a dead heat, 350 combined brother home runs wow but our baby sister paula also played pleasant view softball her 1984 grand slam has officially put the apple bombs over the top yeah. we have been given the tiebreaker vic i hate to rub it in but apple bomb apple bomb apple bomb <laughs> so. i uh, i will accept second place i will accept <laughs> very proudly accept second place i i you're your your memory of history is maybe a little different than mine, but I really like it. I'm, I'm... <laughs> Barry, you always have the know the right way to say things. Now, Vic, after you finished up at Pleasant View, where did you go for high school? I went to Sir John and McDonald's, just yep. on the other side of Victoria Park, um, and had a great you know four years there. was uh, was such a tremendous school. Played football, played volleyball, played rugby. Uh, just had a great had a great time. I was on student council. Uh, maybe that's where the political bug first hit me. But I was uh, vice president of student council in my last year there, which was which was just such a tremendous honor and a lot of fun. And I will say, it's still you know I, I keep in touch with a lot of my uh, a lot of my old mates 
from high school and they're it's still you know probably the most um influential time in my life i would say you know those ages and i remember that school so fondly it's such a important part of my um my history well that's that's really great it, it really is interesting at that age you're, it's very formative now you went on from sir john a mcdonald where'd you go for university and what studies did you pursue i went to western uh, the great uh, UWO. Uh, I had no doubt that was where I was going to go. My brother went there as well, my older brother. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think I, when, when, when the, the soggy Maitland residence ranked as the second, uh, you know, uh, second uh, on, on Dave Letterman's top 10 list, it was ranked the number two, uh, what was it, highest or most likely places you were going to have a party or, you know, party school. Yeah, it was a number two party school. Number two, and party, number two party residence. There you go. So I thought, well, I think I know where I'm going. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took. That was good. That's all it took. So I had four great years at, at Western. I studied uh, honors political science, um, uh, you know, had thoughts about doing, you know, a professional degree after that. But then I kind of got... Uh, you know, I came back to Toronto. It was in the, you know, it was around 93, 94. And, and I think that's when I really just sunk my teeth into politics. I had, uh, it was the, you know, Bob Ray was premier and mm -hmm. uh, the little known leader of the uh, Ontario PC party, Mr. Mike Harris was uh, leader of the third party and was, uh, you know, no one, no one gave him a shot. And he came up with this document called the common sense revolution, which was revolutionary as his mm -hmm. a campaign platform. And I just bought into it entirely. So I worked on that election campaign in Richmond Hill. My family had moved to Richmond Hill by then. And, uh, for, and it was such a great honor because I, the local candidate was um, Al Palladini. I don't know if you remember Al. Yes, the car dealership. Car dealer, right? Any Palladini is a pal of mine. That was one <laughs> of his great slogans. And so I got a great, great chance to meet him. He was like a local celebrity and Al won and went on to be a minister. And I, you know, my parents had a small retail business that I had, wor I was working in when I finished school. It was a struggle, you know, I mean, they, they worked so hard and, you know, it was, it, they worked as hard as they basically brought in enough money to basically put some food on the table, but it was never a, a, a you know, a huge success. And so, it was tough. I used to say I worked for room and board for my parents, uh, which was just fine. And, and then, you know, when Mike won and became premier, I thought, you know what, I love this stuff. Maybe there's an opportunity to get a job. And I applied and I did. And I think that kind of set my kind of political sort of my, my, my sort of political career, if you will, um, you know, working for and supporting and advising various political figures in motion. Um, but I also had an entrepreneurial kind of bent and bug. So, you know, so over the years, which we can get into, I was able to kind of, I think, uh, you know, leverage both of those when I set, set up a business. So I worked in the government for four or five years. I worked at City Hall. I worked at Queens Park. Um, and, uh, and then in the late 90s, I decided I was time to go and do something on my own. And I started a consulting business. Uh, providing advice and, and support and, and uh, um, counsel, as it were, and communications advice to organizations that were trying to do business with the, with the, with the government or, or, or trying to communicate 
the implications of policy decisions on their business, that sort of thing. One might call it a lobbyist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I did, I, I set up a business and I didn't know how successful it would be. And I ended up running that business very successfully for 11 years. So, um, so it was a great run. And, uh, and, and I got to sort of leverage my skills, I think, as an entrepreneur and the desire to run my own business and continue to be quite heavily involved in politics. Well, you know, on that note, you kind of say it with a laugh, but to the average person, maybe we don't understand the difference. Maybe you can define what do you when you talk about the difference between consulting and lobbying. Are they are they one and the same? Or are they different? And how would you describe the difference? Well, I think you know, lobbying. Uh, you know, I mean, I kind of think that people might say, "Well, where does that term come from?" Well, it it, it kind of has this historical context. It's obviously a a, um, a sort of most like a slang. Uh, term that has been developed by, you know, those people that I think back in the day would try to influence the decisions of politicians. And they would do it literally in the lobbies and the corridors of power in the hallways. And so that's where the sort of the term lobbyist came from. Um, And I think it's, you know, I think in some senses, it's taken on a bit of a pejorative sense, right? It's like, oh, that's, that seems untoward. But I think really, you know, government and the decisions that politicians have to make are very complicated. They make them with incomplete information and a lot of information, but much of it is incomplete. They're not necessarily, to be honest with you, like, the, you know, many, many smart, capable people, but they may not be smart, capable or knowledgeable in that area that they're making decisions. And the implications of those decisions are very far reaching for businesses uh, and, and other groups and a lot of what I would call unintended consequences of decisions. And so those organizations need ways to communicate to the government to deliver their message in an effective way to cut through the noise to sort of really try to help the government, um, you know, maybe achieve its objectives, but in a way that serves everybody's interests. And so that I think, is the job of a consultant or a lobbyist um, to help kind of translate and, you know, think of through tactics and strategies to get access and 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 uh, and try to share that knowledge with those politicians so so that's what i did so you know we use all sorts of different tactics including you know the media and just writing letters and leveraging relationships to get meetings with people that they may not otherwise be able to get that kind of thing now during uh, his career as a lawyer and a political strategist and a businessman john tory at one point decided to run a mayoral campaign in the mm-hmm. 2003 Toronto municipal election. You were involved in that. How did you get involved? And was that your first time kind of working? What, what prompted you to work with John Tory? Well, I've known John for, for quite a few years. I mean, John, I, I, you know, kind of, as I talked earlier about my um, experience uh, in the 1995 election campaign, I, I actually had been involved prior to that in uh, in in um, a political camp, I got quite involved in the Conservative Party throughout my time in uh, at Western University, and um, and so I had met John. Uh, he was the chairman of the ill-fated Kim Campbell uh, uh, election campaign. And again, I'm, we're aging ourselves here, Andrew. <laughs> I certainly am. Yeah. Many of your listeners may not remember her, but she was the first female uh, prime minister in our yes. country's history, and uh, and I guess the only female prime minister. Uh, still, which is a sad, I think that's a bit of a sad statement, I have to say. Um, 
And so he, I got to know John at that time. He was the chairman of that campaign. And, um, you know, he's just a very well-known and, and well-regarded figure in, in, in the progressive conservative party. And so when he decided to run, and I wouldn't say I was close to him, but I knew him. And when he decided to run in 2003, I kind of put my hand up and, um, and I was running my business quite successfully. And I put my hand up and reached out to those that were involved and said, look, I think I can help. And, I'd like to be involved, and I was doing so as a volunteer initially, and uh, and then it became clear that he needed kind of, you know, and I'd worked on it, as I said, a number of campaigns, I had some experience, um, and so it was clear he needed kind of maybe more full-time support, and I kind of put my business on hold for six months, mm. and uh, went in and, and became the deputy campaign manager for John in that campaign, mm. and it was, an, it was just such a, it, 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 um, I had been involved in city elections before, but to be involved in a in in a mayoral election citywide, I mean, it just it was such a treat because it uh, I you know, I thought I knew the city that I love uh, well, and yet I was exposed to parts of the city and people in the, all across the city that I just had no um, exposure to before that, and uh, just you know, it kind of made me fall in love with the city even more and. The, and the municipal and, and city politics, you know, it's so grassroots, it's so local, uh, you know, you can make decisions that affect people immediately versus setting policies or, you know, talking about things that pass legislation. You don't really necessarily see the impact of that, but, you know, I think the city can make a difference in, in within weeks of making a decision. So, so that, yeah, so it was a really exciting opportunity. John ran, we ran, I think, a great campaign. He came from being completely unknown to coming in second place. And uh, I think that kind of really set him up for a, obviously a very successful political career following that. Now, as you note, in that particular election, David Miller came out on top and became Toronto's mayor. But you obviously were fired up by the whole process. Where did you go from there? And how did that take you into the future campaigns when when John Tory did win? Yeah, so I... Um... You know, I, I kind of went back to my to my business after that. And I, you know, John decided to run for the the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario. He was successful. And uh, and so I was I stayed very close to him and 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 uh, continued to uh, provide, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, continue to be involved as a volunteer. Uh, I, I was on the provincial party executive um, you know, which is sort of the governing body of the party that helps sort of support the, the leader and the campaign. And so I was quite involved. But I, you know, for me, for my account, I went back to my business and continued to develop it and to grow it. And uh, but, you know, I always had, um, you know, I always had that itch to uh, want to get into elected office myself. And so um, as you know, I finally convinced my wife that it was a good idea to sell my business and and uh, uh, move back to Richmond Hill and put my name on a on a ballot and, yep. and try to run. And so I I did that. I sold my business in 2011. I I um, ran for the nomination of the Ontario PC Party in Richmond Hill. Um, for that election, I won. It was it was so great, Andrew. It was like an old style. Uh, nomination meeting in a hockey arena and you yeah. know there was probably 1500 people there and uh, you know my my kids were really young 
had no idea what was really going on, but they were holding signs and waving them. Oh my God, it was, uh, it was, it was one of the most exciting moments of my life. And I was successful. I became the candidate for the party and, uh, and had a chance to run in that election. Unfortunately, that didn't go my way, the election itself, but I learned a tremendous amount. I did a lot of media. I, I, I was able to be a spokesperson for the party. Um, I think one of my highlights was I had a chance to debate Greg Cervera, who again, yes. to remind your listeners was the finance minister at the time, uh, and, uh, or maybe he had been the finance minister, but he was at one time. And I had a chance to debate him on Steve Pakin's show, The Agenda, which yep. was a real pleasure and a real treat. And so I did that. And then, you know, I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't successful, but I thought I would, you know, give it one more shot. And I ran again in the 2014 election mm -hmm. and I again, wasn't successful. And then I thought, okay, you know, I don't, I don't want to try chance the three strikes and you're out rule. So I'm going to leave it at two. And, yeah. uh, and then John, you know, John had decided after, you know, his kind of journey through his um, political career, becoming leader of the party of the PC party, not getting elected uh, as premier. And then of course he, he, he was beloved on the radio for many, many years yeah. uh, doing his program on CFRB. And I think he, you know, again, he still had the itch and, um, you know, and he decided to run again after uh, one term of, of a very challenging term, I think, with Rob Ford as mayor. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think he decided to run. I, so I wasn't involved in that election, but but he, he called me and I, I still remember this. Um, Andrew, I had just lost in, in the 2014 election campaign. I was living in Richmond Hill. I was at the soccer field. You know, on a on a on a nice comfortable chair watching my kid play soccer, and John Tory phones me and he says, "Vic, you know, I know this is still early. Election isn't for another two months. It's feeling really good. I think I'm. I think that it's it's going to happen this time, and I think we should reunite the band. Yeah, but I'd like you to come and join the team. And I I said, listen, it would be a pleasure. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. I I don't know what my plan is." Uh, but he said, just come and join the team and, and we'll go from there. So I did. I helped him on the last couple of months of the campaign. Uh, and of course, he got elected. Mm -hmm. And then he immediately said, you're one of the few guys that I trust that understand City Hall, uh, you know, that that uh, that, you know, you happen not to be doing anything right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and I was sort of contemplating my future. I was I had sold my business. I had given politics a good run. I was feeling I was in a really good place and I yeah. thought, okay, what's next for me? And I just reflected and, um, you know, and to think that, um, you know, and to think that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the mayor, the newly elected mayor, a guy of his stature, you know, asking me to come in and take on one of the most important jobs in his office. Um, you know, it was a real, it was a real honor, right. As a, you know, you know, as a, um, you know, as, as a bit of a poor kid growing up in this city to yeah. your parents to have that, um, to have that opportunity to, uh, I, I told him that when we sat down and had a conversation about it, um, you know, he said, would you consider this? I said, how, how would I not consider it? You know? Yeah. Um, so it was amazing. It was, so I accepted his offer and I went in and, and became, uh, his principal secretary, which is probably something your listeners want to understand a little more. Yeah, please do. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, John had, you know, John is a very, very thoughtful, uh, smart man and, and, you know, obviously very steeped in politics himself. And he, he said to me, you know, I need someone to run the office administratively. And that's my chief of staff. And, and that individual is a very good friend of mine. His name is Chris Evie. He's gone on to, to uh, have a great career in the private sector. And, and Chris had a very strong communications background. So he said, I want Chris to run the office and be responsible for all my communications. But he said, you know, I was Bill Davis's principal secretary. And Bill Davis, uh, he said, in the role of principal secretary, is your chief political and policy operative. And mm-hmm. it's a term that comes from the British parliamentary system. And so he said, I would like you to be my principal secretary. And I said, well, Mayor, there is no principal secretary at the city level. He said, well, why should that stop us? He said, <laughs> I want you to run the council affairs. I want you to manage all of the policy files. And I want you to, uh, I, I want you to be my number one political guy. And so I thought, man, what a treat this is. So I accepted the offer and, and Chris and I kind of ran the office together and each kind of responsible for our own areas, uh, own areas. And it was a great run. I mean, we did, you know, I think that first term, the mayor uh, really kind of brought civility back to city hall. I think he, you know, uh, made, we made major investments in transit and affordable housing and, and a lot of the work that he's continued to do in this term. And, and one of the projects he said to me, um, which is a great segue to kind of what I'm doing now is he said, you know, he said, this, he said, it's crazy, Vic, that we have no consolidated list of all of our real estate assets mm-hmm. that every division of the city manages its own real estate. Meaning if parks and rec want to build a new community center, they go to the budget process and they, if they get the budget approved then they go and hire a real estate broker who goes and finds them a piece of real estate and they manage all of this. There's no centralized uh, center of excellence for real estate at the mm-hmm. city. And so he said, let's go create that. And I said, I, and, and he kind of handed me the project and I said, okay, let's go do that. So I went and put a plan together and uh, we brought in an, an expert advisory committee of real estate experts and people from the public sector, private sector, we talked about, we looked at what were the best practices around uh, North America. And eventually we came up with the idea of creating this new real estate agency. And, um, and, and that's what became Creteo. And so, um, and so, you know, so we set that up and, and, and as you can see here, we are four years later. Well, you've talked about, you know, your, your role is to bring together stakeholders, partners and community members to ensure the best use of the city's real estate assets, really about, you talked about unlocking the potential of our city. You want vibrant, more livable communities. Why don't we talk a little about some of your key projects? You mentioned modern TO plan, which is these eight city owned properties that are going to be considered for redevelopment. Talk about housing now. Well, housing now is, 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 uh, you know, Andrew is probably our single biggest uh, pro, uh, program. Uh, you know, it's, the, the, the city of Toronto is committed to building 40,000 new uh, homes over the next 12 years. And that sort of numbers that, that time period started uh, at the beginning of this past term of council and um, 10,000 of those units are going to be built on city owned land. So this mm-hmm. is surplus land or underutilized land. 
And so um, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're uh, trying to optimize, find those pieces of real estate, optimize them, look at what's already there. If we can relocate some of those uses, uh, city uses to other locations or integrate it into a development, that's what we're trying to do. So we've announced we have 21 active sites that mm -hmm. we're exploring. Um, we have uh, on those sites will be uh, about... Uh, actually about 10,000 units or 11,000 units of total housing. Uh, 5,500 of those will be affordable. I think on, on other projects that there's also affordable housing, we're up to about 6,200 units. Now, have any of those units been constructed yet? No, uh, no one is living in them. I mean, just to, you know, your listeners should, should appreciate that real estate uh, development takes time, right? Mm -hmm. Approvals and development, the construction and so on. But it's a very ambitious and very exciting program that will deliver affordable housing to those people that need it uh, in the city. And, and really what we're trying to build, Andrew, is, is um, a range of housing from deeply affordable, which means at about uh, the, the price of those units would be about 40, 30, 20 to 40% of what is market rent. Mm -hmm. And then all up to about 80% of market rent. So we're trying to provide housing from people that make as little as 20,000 a year to, you know, 60, 70,000 a year, you know, people that are gig workers or working in restaurants or admin assistants and office clerks, right? The people that we need in the city, you know, we, we don't want these people living two hours away, getting on trends. I mean, sure, of course, by choice, they should, but, we also think that it's important that people get to live right in the city and they can walk to work and that we can kind of create that complete community where people can live, work, play all in the same neighborhood. Right. That's great. And, and the other big project that I think is tied in a little that I wanted to ask you about was Leslie Lookout Park. Do you want to talk about this, this revitalization yeah. of underutilized land? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited uh, before I had the, this great privilege to become the CEO, um, I was responsible for the area of, uh, of the Portland. Um, it's a tremendous portfolio for Creteo. We, the city owns um, through, through Creteo uh, about, you know, four or 500 acres of land in the Portland. Um, it's a very active port. There's uh, all of our construction, or sorry, our, our cement companies are there. And right in the middle of all of that is this little parcel that um, the city has deemed um, as part of a green corridor on Leslie Street that goes from Lakeshore all the way up to Tommy to the gateway of Tommy Thompson Park, mm -hmm. which if, if uh, any of your listeners have gone to will know it's just a beautiful, tranquil place that, that uh, out on the Leslie Spit. And so just before that is about an acre and a half parcel that we owned, um, that we decided in, uh, to transform it into a very unique signature park. Uh, one that is, you know, um, it, you know, and it's, it's not going to be a park where people come and picnic, but the idea is that it's right at the end of the ship channel. Uh, and you, um, and why it's called lookout park is, you know, there's, um, there's the opportunity to look down the ship channel, right to see the beautiful views of the city and to really get an appreciation for this, you know, again, I think this notion of, of, of living and working and playing all in the same area. I mean, Europe has figured it out. They've, mm -hmm. they've had to, right, because of their 
the, the, the lack of real estate, right? So um, there's no reason we can't have a park where people are enjoying themselves while having an active port right next door or employment uses and so on. And so, so that park is underway. We've hired um, world-renowned landscape architect Claude Comier. Uh, some of your listeners may, may know Claude and some of the work he's done, the Bercy Park which is also called the dog park. Uh, yeah, I love that piece. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful park. He's building a park called Love Park uh, just down on um, uh, right by the waterfront in, at, at the foot of York Street and foot of Bay Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's done some beautiful signature parks for the city. He's working on them. And so he won, he won the RFP competition and he's designed this park for us. And it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be, a, uh, it's going to be tremendous. And, and if I could, I want to talk about one other thing, Andrew. Yes, please. In just in one minute here, also in the Portlands, one of the industries that we support uh, is a very, very important sector for the city is the film and television sector, mm-hmm. uh, film and television production. Uh, you know, we do in this city over $2 billion of production. And so uh, a lot of those studios, many of those studios are located in the Portlands. They happen to be our tenants. Uh, Pinewood Studio is the biggest studio uh, in, in, in Toronto, is located there. They're a tenant mm-hmm. of ours. Immediately next to that parcel of land, or sorry, where Pinewood is, we've, we, we did a, um, a proposal call for a film studio partner to build a uh, state-of-the-art purpose-built studio on a long, long-term lease basis uh, on nine acres of land. And we're just so excited to, uh, we announced it uh, about six months ago that we've, uh, through this process, identified a partner that's called Hackman Capital Partners. They are a very well-regarded film studio owner. They own some of the some of the uh, oldest and most historic studios in, in LA, in New York City. Um, they are a very capable group. And so they are, they are we're in the midst of nego- finalizing our, our, our agreement with them, but they will be building uh, a, a beautiful new $250 million facility, um, you know, with I think about eight or 10 new stages. It's going to support over 2,000 jobs. Uh, and again, continue to you know, ensure that Toronto is on the forefront of film and television production. So that's another great project that we're really excited about. That's fabulous. You got so much going on in this city. I think it's great. I'm amazed you can keep track of it all. I want to go back for a moment. Vic, you probably know John Tory just about better than anyone short of his wife. I'm not going to put you in an awkward position because the election is coming up on October 24th. So let's keep the politics out of it. But if you would talk about John Tory, the man, why is he running again at this stage of his life? He's wealthy. He's completed two very successful terms. He's, you know, he's notable for guiding us through COVID. He has a family he wants to spend time with. What drives someone like that? Why, why would he run again? You know, I think he, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this. This is the guy who um, is, he, he, he loves, I, I, you know, he's, was born and raised in the city, loves this city. And uh, he has always, always in his private life and even in his, and now in his public life, has uh, always been involved in helping people improve their lives and, in, and now in, in trying to improve the city uh, for, you know, for all its residences. And I think he's just so in love with the city. He's so committed to its success. 
And I, I just think he's found, he's, he's, if you asked him, he'd say, I have the best job in the world, right? I get to yeah. be the mayor of the city that I love. And, um, and so I think, you know, if you, if you said he, he's, he's, he's young at heart, he's uh, got a lot of stamina. So I think health wise and energy wise, you know, he, he'd say, I'm not ready to pack it in. I, I'm going to keep working. And so if you're going to keep working again, what better, what, what better than doing the job you love? Yeah. And he's good at it. And uh, I think we're all excited that he's going to run again. Again, I, I have no official view because I now run a city agency, but yep. uh, I, I think, uh, you know, and I think also, Andrew, I would say this, he's, he's not told me this, but I do think that, you know, he feels like the job's not done, you know, the mm-hmm. pandemic there's, I think the city's made great strides in the eight years that he's been mayor, but uh the pandemic is, uh, you know, he has seen it firsthand as mayor, the impact of that on people and on their lives. And I think he's, he wants to see us come out of that. Right. And I think, you know, that's going to be another couple of years. Right. And so I think he wants to lead the recovery, you know, both the social recovery, the economic recovery. Uh, and, uh, and I think it just keeps him really excited and motivated to keep doing it. So, uh, you know, he doesn't rest. I, I know, we used to have 7 a.m. meetings with him every day when we didn't have a morning meeting. It was like the greatest, it was the, it was the greatest day. It's like we won the lottery. He got to sleep in. Yeah. So I think he's still, he still runs a a busy schedule and, you know, and I think he'll continue to do that. So I think that's what motivates him. Well, like John Tory, you were born and raised here. So as we get to the end of our time together, some questions for you about your Toronto experience. What places do you like to eat, Vic? Any, any hidden gems or any places that you like to spend your eating time at? Oh, wow. Uh, there's just so many. There's so many. Um, Don't be shy to shout them out. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, okay. I, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm taking my wife out on a night and uh, one of our favorite restaurant uh, and, a, and a good friend of ours uh, uh, runs it, owns it, is called Biblos, uh, Middle Eastern cuisine, uh, Lebanese uh, fusion. I think Toronto has become so famous for its fusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's down on Duncan Street. So we like to go there from time to time. Um, in our own neighborhood, uh, beautiful Italian place that uh, is kind of an easy kind of date night, but uh, uh, tremendous food called Conto Basta. Okay. And then if I'm, you know, there's a couple of joints that, um, one in particular that, you know, my wife is, uh, is, is, is uh, of Indian descent from East Africa. And they, there's a, there's a very unique way they prepare their meats and marinate their meats. And it's called, and so there's an East African Indian restaurant called Pili Pili. Okay. Uh, which, which, uh, which I think translates to, uh, uh in Swahili translates to, um, to heat, to like spice. Um, so that's on, uh, I think it's the Warden and Lawrence in the area. So that's a great place that, uh, that we also like to go to. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's, that's a pretty good list so far. <laughs> Vic, that counts as an excellent hidden gem. That's the kind of stuff I like to dig up. So that was yeah. great. Listen, I want to get one final question because of your career in politics and the people you've interacted with. I was wondering if you had any interaction with someone we'd consider famous that uh, was an interesting story that you were felt comfortable sharing. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, I will, I will share one. Uh, um, 
I did have a chance. I mean, this is kind of this is kind of fun because we all we all know him. I think lots of people have had a chance to spend a little time with uh, with this Toronto legend uh, Drake. Yes, Drake uh, Aubrey. So I I had a chance to meet Drake um, when I worked for Mayor Tory. Uh, we we decided the mayor decided uh, that Drake was you know he's one of these guys who was so loved and you know biggest artist in the world at one point and 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 you kind of felt almost loved more outside the city than in the city and so the mayor just thought his story was amazing he had a chance to meet him and speak to him and learn more about him and he decided to give him the key to the city as an acknowledgement for his success and his you know the role he's played in the toronto and and the global music scene and so through that process we uh him and i had a chance to meet and spend a little time together and uh and and just as it happens, I just happened to bump into him at a couple of places, including at a Raptors game, and uh, and and uh, and so we we kind of had a little bit of a a little bit of a of a bromance, maybe. <laughs> I got some, I got a couple of photos with him, and you know when when you're with a friend and and Drake kind of makes eye contact with you and nods and says, "Hey, how's it going?" That feels pretty good. So that was that's a cute fun little story that i i got a chance to meet drake well, and spend some time with him and he's a, he's a great guy actually i will say that he's nothing he's, gives uh, you credibility better than that i only wish my 15 year old could see me make eye contact with drake i'd suddenly <laughs> be elevated to a real person there you go <laughs> listen vic it was tremendous having you as we wrap up here i just want uh, you to talk about where people can best follow you and what you're working on at create to Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm, um, we have a LinkedIn page and we have, I'd say through our social media pages, uh, at, uh, I think it's at create to, um, and so you can follow us through there. Um, and I personally, I, I tend not these days to do a lot, but I have a LinkedIn page myself and, mm -hmm. uh, so you can follow me at Vic Gupta and I, my Twitter handle is at Gupta Vic. Uh, although I very rarely, I, I very rarely tweet these days. I'm told I'm not allowed to. Uh, so I, I keep that to myself, but, uh, but yeah, please do. I mean, we'd love to, to follow the projects. We, in fact, our project from yesterday, we've, uh, we've, we've blasted out on our, on our LinkedIn page. So would love for, uh, your listeners to keep track of all the great things we're doing to make this city a better place for all its residents. Excellent. Well, keep up the good fight. You're working on so much. It's incredible. I want to thank you for your time today. And to the listeners, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast. On behalf of Vic Gupta, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.
Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the, the Dean Blundell, Blundell Network. Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.